Welcome to the Progressive Practice Podcast, social performance practice at the core of the energy transition. This first season is funded by the Tentrans Research Project. Our podcast mini-series includes two conversations with academics. Even if you perhaps would not want to call himself this, anymore at least, Peter is one of them. Peter is based in Australia, but spends a lot of time working in South Africa. He is in the midst of a rich career as pre-academic, some might call it, he holds professorships in community development in Australia and in South Africa and works as consulting practitioner in many places. He speaks about the importance of taking development practitioners seriously for their service to the world. He is interested in how corporations work with the methodology of community development. He mentions a tendency that he observed, which is that community work of companies tend to fulfill the objectives of the company rather than respond to the necessity of the people. He points this out as a tension point in practice. How do we support practitioners to really work in a responsive way? We've decided to add a lecture of Peter's to this episode. Parts of the lecture summarize the theory, frameworks and practice questions relevant to corporate-led community development. It was recorded for an industry event, the USAID Learning Event, in February of 2020. The event turned out to be a milestone event in the sector. It gave rise to much discussion about practice development. Peter's lecture was so to the point, we didn't want to miss the opportunity to further share it. So it is stitched into our conversation with him here. Hi, Peter Westerby. Thanks so much for joining us today. Pleasure. Good to be here. So um, first off, where are you locked down, Peter? Well, I'm in Jagada Turubu country, is the indigenous name for Brisbane in Australia, and we're not in lockdown. We fortunately have no COVID cases at the moment. So we're, we're allowed to live a, a relatively normal life. Yeah. Wow, that is a completely different reality from us, lockdown here in the Cape. So Peter, you've been researching community development for many years now. Um, I'd just like to understand how you got into the field and yeah, what's the brief story of your career? Yeah, like um, maybe like many people, I found myself in community development without even knowing I was in community development. I, when I was 19, I lived in a neighborhood and got involved with refugees, people with mental health problems, and started working with people collectively. And I discovered that that was community development. And um, yeah, so my career was a move from learning on the job to then understanding what I was doing in a more professional way. And what I mean by professional is in a more disciplined way through reflection and ideas. Um, yeah, I did that in Australia. I ended up living in South Africa from 94 to 99, working with young people during the HIV pandemic, you could say. So I, I learned a lot in your country and have continued on the journey as a practitioner and, and a scholar for 30 years. Yeah, it's been an amazing journey. Thank you. So some of that journey we would like to um, dive in and unpack a bit more, specifically also as it relates to your really recent um, shift, I guess. Um, there were news that came across the ocean about you shifting your work focus into a direction that we would love to discuss a bit more 
in this in this conversation so could i ask you to just share with us what are you working on right now and what are your plans or so for the next year what is your professional um i guess vision going forward i've been crazy you know i had a job that was secure and solid and during this covid 19 pandemic i resigned from the university which is where I've been working for 15 years, teaching, researching, community development. But I no longer see a university as a place, a commons for people. I no longer see it as focused on social transformation. It's more a business, a corporation. So I left a month ago and I continue to work through a cooperative that 12 people established 22 years ago called Community Praxis Cooperative. And we are working on a whole heap of wonderful projects from authentic leadership, supporting a fellowship. We're running a popular education initiative around anti-racism and First Nations solidarity, um, educating like a community-based movement um, approach to learning. Um, we're offering numerous masterclasses in community development. And I could go on. But, but this is my new world. Yeah, and then I'm, I'm doing a lovely part-time job, which is more of the heart in a place called Hummingbird House that works with families who have dying children. And we're developing community-based approaches to supporting families who have children dying of illnesses that are terminal. So this is less political and more social and psychological but also relevant for community development sure incredible absolutely for us to to give you a ring all the way to australia the link to south africa and your career is really important and i think in at least the way we understand um your professional contribution sort of being positioned um it does link up again to what you currently um, endeavoring into but before we go into that we would like to loop back and just look into what you've been doing in South Africa especially in the last couple of years where you were in conversation with some of the stakeholders in the renewable energy sector no, here and you've been doing some research what questions were you following and and what is it that you you were looking at and what have you learned could you recap that sure look because I'm a community development practitioner and a scholar, I'm interested in how both the practice, like what community development workers do or think they do or say they do and what actually happens. But I'm also always been interested in who resources community development. And historically, this has been, you know, the public sector governments and non-profits and community-based organizations and and now we have seen a, a bit of a turn in the last 20 years where corporations have um, started employing community development workers um, and I think at the beginning you mentioned community relations I think in the early generation it was a community relations exercise more linked to the social license necessity for uh, mining corporations and now renewable energy corporations to maintain a legitimacy in communities. 
Here's a clip about what Peter's lecture had to say about corporate-led community development, which gives us a bit more context into his thinking. Corporations historically have made a bit of a mistake where they often employ people in the community relations or community development team that don't really have the skills or the qualifications, you know, because that's just the social stuff, the soft stuff. And that's a huge mistake because the work we do in the social field, you working with communities, groups, local governments, is much more complicated than the engineering work, for example. That's pretty simple stuff. And we know historically, for example, that most, for example, mining projects fail, not because of technical engineering issues, but what we think of as the social license. Mining company loses the social license. They lose the, the trust, the confidence of a community, and the community then enters into conflict and the project gets stuck. And so, you know, the work you do as community development workers that's about the relationship and genuinely working with communities is crucial. You need to upskill yourself. You need to really uh, work in the way you are now, coming together, thinking, talking, learning from failure, learning from success. Importantly, working from failure, like really, really learning the lessons, what, what's not working. So. So look, I really encourage you to keep doing that. Um, and probably that's the, the last thing I should say, you know, specifically for you in the renewable energy sector, you're, I'm speaking to you from a country on fire. We've been burning for four or five months and we've probably got two, three more months, months ahead of fires. The, the transition to low carbon economy or no carbon economy is the most crucial challenge facing human beings and you you know working with renewable energy companies are at the cutting edge of that and the challenge of making it not just a transition to wind water solar is is to also make it a just transition that that communities really benefit and that's what you are all employed to do make sure that what the what those projects you're doing in in these very remote regional parts of South Africa where communities are historically disadvantaged, marginalized from the economy, um, from the benefits of the national you know, development. You, you're at the cutting edge of making sure there's a, a just transition that people do benefit. So you know, keep up the really good work. But we're seeing an evolution into a more genuine practice, a, a real, you know, social responsibility, you could say. So I'm interested in how corporations uh, work with this methodology we call community development. And, and what's happening in your renewable energy sector is an amazing expression of that. Um, I looked at some companies in Uganda doing that were corporations using community development and very disappointed in their practice um, in the sense that the work tended to always fulfill the objectives of the company rather than respond to the necessities of the people, which I think creates a, a big tension point in any practice. So I saw that in Uganda and I'm very interested in, in your renewable energy sector. How how do we support community development workers to really respond to the necessities and aspirations of communities, recognizing they're employed by corporations that have their own agenda? It creates a big tension. I'm interested in this tension point.
I think that's probably the brief answer, yeah? I wonder if you could give us an example um, of a conversation or place you you might have visited. I know a lot of people who, who would be listening to this episode have seen you on screen at the USAID learning event, which Tasneem and I also attended, obviously, earlier, just before COVID. And coming out of that learning event, um, next to me, you can't see, but it's um, came out a poster which summarizes your your lecture or the, the talk you gave on video. So I just wonder, in terms of your impressions from the field in South Africa, can you share a bit more? Look, my, my impression in South Africa, and I, I mean, not just from the renewable energy sector, but doing many years of research with community development practitioners, is that there, there's a challenge because there are many people who don't have any um, community development training, um, education that are thrown into these positions and you know they are told to follow a method you know go and do a needs analysis or an assets analysis you know develop some projects um, and 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 then everyone will be happy and and of course we know that that this it, the work is so much more complex than this um, and, and you throw someone into the complex world of community full of com conflict, diverse agendas, political processes, um, partnerships with local governments, and, and, and people get lost in the practice. Whose, whose agenda are we responding to? Where's the real accountability? Is the accountability upwards to government or corporations or downwards to the people um, and and it's never either or but how does a practitioner navigate through that space is um, is so important and and what I've learned is that many practitioners in South Africa have, have not been equipped so you know this is true of government deployed community development workers NGO deployed workers and the same with you know, private sector deployed workers. Yeah. So I, I think this, how does a practitioner navigate the complexity of the field is the question that I live with all the time. And you can't just give someone a simple tool. Yeah. So that that's my quick answer. Yeah. Um, it, it, it adds color to, to what it is. And I think it really resonates with practitioners in this landscape um, and it is exactly also where the the learning event and where the conversations in this podcast are sort of trying to weave some light into I think what does it mean to be a practitioner and to be a learning or reflective practitioner um, yeah and I know the next question Tasneem is going to probably take you into <laughs> well into, into the depth of our landscape take take us Tasneem <laughs> <laughs> so, Peter, you see this shift with renewable energy in the way that corporations are responding to community development and sort of trying to evolve towards a more genuine practice. What, what are your expectations for social performance or development practitioners in the energy transition? Yeah, that's a good question and a, and a tough one because um, expectations are always a problem. Um, <laughs> uh, but... You know, like my minimal expectation of all practitioners that work in a professional way, i.e. they're paid 
um, by the corporation or a government is that they bring a rigor and a discipline to their practice. And they bring a rigor and a discipline through reflection alone and with other practitioners, because we are a community of practitioners. We have a, a practice. Community development is a practice. And what that means is that we have a clear intention, that we work with people, not for people, that we support people to come together around their collective concerns and we then accompany them in social change. In his lecture, Peter takes us through four traditions of community development around which practitioners can expand their practice. Community development is both a citizen project and a professional project. And many of you will be professionals in the room employed by government or renewable energy corporations or NGOs. But historically, community development is something citizens do. They, they do it when they come together in groups, in communities, neighborhoods, localities to solve their problems, achieve their dreams. And people have been cooperating for decades and centuries. And so we, we need to always kind of respect that people do this. Um, and then we kind of get excited because it's also become a professional project that, that we exercise the discipline and the rigor that we are doing as professionals. And it's why we come together in the room for two days and think about what we're doing. Um, and we learn from history and we learn from one another. So, so let's just always remember that, citizen and professional. Um, now, the other thing to say is if anyone ever says to you there is a definition of community development or there is the one way of doing it, they're lying. There are many. There are many definitions. There are many approaches. Um, and it's uh, professionals need to understand the many. But what is common and worth remembering is that community development more or less always has the following. Uh, the first thing is what we think of as the movement from I to we. Um, people are alone, they're suffering alone, they're stuck in their lives, they're in unemployment or poverty or isolation, um, and they don't know how to solve their problems or live their dream. And community development says, if we move from I to we, that is, we find others who will work with us or share the same problem or the same dream, we can achieve things. Humans can achieve things through cooperating that they can't do alone. So it's this I to we. Um, and the second movement that's important and very relevant for you as professionals is the movement from for to with. Um, and that is not to be helping people or doing things for people uh, because that undermines the principle of people's dignity to solve their own problems. Um, so it's working with or alongside to stand with people, support them, but journey with them in their, in their dreaming and in their problem solving. Okay. So if you, if you, if you're there to help people try and shift your attitude to, I'm here to work with you. There are other key principles like participation and ownership, which a lot of you would be familiar with. The more people participate from the beginning of an idea or project process and activity, the better. It's theirs, it's not yours. So these are some of the key ideas. Um, so in saying there's no definition, there's also frameworks and traditions. And just quickly, 
when I, when I use the word traditions, you know, um, just three or four, for example, would be um, the community connecting tradition. So tradition of building community, bringing people together where there isn't much community. This is very important in my country, Australia, where we have a lot of isolation, loneliness, people are disconnected. How do we rebuild community? So this tradition of work. So the second tradition we think of as the community education tradition, and this is where we, as a community worker, work with a group or a community such that they can understand the forces, the economic, social, cultural forces that are shaping their lives. Often people blame themselves for their poverty and the community education helps people realise what are these economic forces that are causing poverty? Um, what are the cultural forces that are leading to people feeling like their culture is not valued? Um, so, and Steve Biko, you know, would be a very big example in the South African history of, of uh, uh, black consciousness was about a community education tradition. People, black people becoming aware of what was shaping their lives in a way that transformed their thinking. Okay. And Steve Biko ran the community, black community programs. So he was a, a wonderful community development worker. The third one we would think of, say, is the community organising tradition. This is where communities come together and mobilise, protest, campaign. Um, they, they, we're seeing a lot of this in the community protests against uh, some, some local government failure in South Africa. And uh, some of that protest leads to violence, property destruction, um, which isn't necessarily good, but it might be the only way people have their, have their voices heard. Um, but it's a big tradition and, uh, and we know from research that within South Africa there are many community organisers behind that movement. And, um, and you might be working in a corporation where the community organises against you and you will need all your skills to actually hear their concerns and respond in, in constructive ways. And then the fourth tradition we think of as say the community planning tradition. It's where people come together, they particularly work, say, with local government or a corporation, a company, to, to co-design, co-plan what's needed in a, in a place. So this is a rich tradition of participatory planning, participatory budgeting, and, you know, you, you should be very much involved in that work. So that's, they're, they're the sort of four traditions that I've, I've the community connecting, community educating, community organising, community planning. We then, as a practice, have a whole heap of resources to support us. Journals, books, conferences, workshops. And if we're not using those resources, then we are failing ourselves and the people. So this, this is my minimum expectation. I don't have an expectation that we succeed in our work because our practice is human, it's with people. And because it's human and with people, it's always subject to the frailties of human beings. You know, we start something and then people run out of energy. We start something and then there's conflict and it falls apart. No practitioner can stop that. So our expectation is not success. Our expectation is we bring a rigor to the work and accompany people and do our best. Do our best. Um, and we can't do that alone. Wow, I, sorry, that was a, a, a kind of, I wound up there, but 
I hope that makes sense. Hmm? Yeah, that makes lots of sense. Um, and I guess that leads nicely into the next question, or you probably have touched on this a bit about bringing rigor into the work, but what are some other recommendations that you could share with our listeners for anyone wanting to advance their professional practice? How, how would one go about that? Well, yeah, how to advance the professional practice? Well, yeah, as I just said, the first thing is recognize it is a practice and therefore there are resources and people must take time to read, reflect, you know, talk to other colleagues. Speaking of reflecting, reading and practice development, Peter's lecture walks us through the various community development frameworks, which are concepts that guide our thinking and practice. We also also think about different frameworks and, and when I use the word framework, don't get worried. That just is a, when we talk about a framework, we're talking about what what's concepts are guiding us. And for example, the, a key framework that people still use is needs-based community development. So the key concept, the framework is needs. Um, they go into the communities, they do needs assessment, they sit down and identify needs, list all the problems. And, and this is still you know, used a lot. And in many ways, those of us who are professionals, the discipline of reflection and rigor have realized this is not a very useful approach because um, people get deflated. They, they lose their confidence when they see all these problems and list all these needs. They get stuck and it's very hard to then generate energy for change because ultimately community development needs collective energy. People need to be motivated, um, desire change. And uh, this isn't easy when, when people who are um, being stuck for many years or like, trying to change their lives and keep getting caught in cycles. How do you get gen generate the energy? So the a new framework that's being used a lot around the world in contrast to needs-based is assets-based community development. It's become very popular in South Africa, very popular around the world. Um, it's how do we start by seeing, identifying the assets that individuals have um, talents, gifts, skills, ideas, how we bring people together around those assets. What, what assets do we collectively have in a neighborhood or a community, facilities, um, economic, financial assets, social assets, that, you know, that we, we actually trust each other, which is the key social asset and we have relationships. And then how do we mobilize those assets to deal with the problems. It's not pretending there aren't problems, but we, but we don't start with the problems. So along with needs-based and assets-based community development, there's a third framework. Um, some of us talk about it's participatory community development. Um, someone like Robert Chambers is internationally well-known for talking about participatory practice and myself and other colleagues have written about participatory development where the emphasis becomes the dialogue and, and the ways people participate in one-on-one -on -one relationships, very small groups, the heartbeat of social change is seven, eight, nine people that really can work together cooperatively and participate fully in, in making their dream or solving their problem. So, so the participatory development framework and the colleague there, my colleague Holla, 
would be able to direct you to some resources around that. You know, for an example, I, I'm this Thursday, I'm running a four day reflective practice workshop. It's the third workshop in a leadership program. And today I get an email from one of the participants saying, I'm too busy to come to the workshop on Thursday. I wrote back and says, this is a ridiculous response. This is unacceptable as a practitioner. Four days of this year, you have committed to come to a workshop to reflect on your practice. And now you're saying you're too busy. Well, maybe your busyness is, un, is, is not effective. You need to bring reflection. You need to make time to do this reflection. Busyness is not a good enough response to, to you know, ignoring uh, reading, reflecting, journaling, meeting with colleagues, going to workshops. Um, you need to find at least one other trusted mentor that you trust can give you honest feedback supportive and critical. You need to bring that kind of rigor. Every practitioner needs someone who they trust can speak into their life, um, who has observed the practice enough to say, you're not listening properly. You're not being present to the people. You're not sitting in the dirt, listening to the stories of the people. Um, you're, you're not questioning your own assumptions. You need someone that can speak to you in that space. Um, so I think that's there. There are some recommendations. Um, I hope they're clear. Um, yeah. Sure. Thank you. The resources is um, yeah. That is a question often discussed, especially in the renewable sector, which is young um, and emerging as an industry. And oftentimes, practitioners who do get employed into those positions that are stakeholder or community facing and indeed uh, tasked to work with community don't easily come across resources that um, that resonate with them and that already starts with the front the front picture and no? the reports or and the title of workshops because it's still quite a I know, quite blurry I think what it means to be a community development practitioner or a um, social performance practitioner in the renewable sector our ending question, and I'm just going to pose it, but please take it into whatever direction you feel like and what, what might come up for you, what you would like to speak about. But usually we end our conversations on this podcast by asking what support is needed to sustain a reflective social practice with integrity and authenticity in this day and time and at the interface of public and private interests and at the coal phase of the energy transition, which obviously yeah comes with a whole lot of um, tensions and possibilities. What thoughts does it bring up for you, if any? I think you've just said something really beautiful, like how do we create resources for these, for emergent practitioners that make sense? Um, I think we need to, I think I alluded to earlier in, in our conversation that one of the biggest challenges is upward accountability and downward accountability. You know, so, you know, if you're sitting with a community, a, a shack um, that's grown up next to a big um, solar farm and you're, you're doing community development and the people are saying, well, we don't want your projects. We want access to electricity that's right there next to us. And of course, we, we can't give it because the procurement is too, you know, centralized. 
um, unless it's changed. Um, like, how does a practitioner deal with that tension of the downward accountability is to listen to the people, but the upward accountability is to a policy um, system that's not responsive? Now, the question is, how do we support a practitioner to be authentic in that space? And, and there's no easy answer other than a, a network of practitioners that are really supporting each other. Um, and, and a network that also means the practitioners not just support each other, but can bring communities together because the practitioners are networked to have a louder voice around issues like that one you know that like so it, it enables um a, a broader advocacy possibility um so what what you are doing or my understanding of what you're doing is building networks building relationships this is something from the community development tradition also means we all as practitioners must take responsibility for no one should just service us in the same way that we're not servicing a community. We are all participating in creating the supports we need in a participatory way. So these young emerging workers put, put some time, not only into working with communities, but working with your network and put some time into building the, the resources that we all know are a necessity. Yeah. So it's to, to model the practice with one another um, is, is yeah, what's crucial, yeah. I think. And in South Africa, yeah. the early days when you started working here, we have so richly available is a really established development community, you know, which comes not from a corporate perspective and doesn't work in, in, in renewable energy as such or any energy or even even mining, but literally does come out of the anti-apartheid struggles and the seeking for, for, for socio-economic rights. So to try and find ways to bring those practitioners together to exchange wisdom and, and, and co-create practices that can really help us sustain an economy that makes sense in 20 years, including an energy transition. That would be some of my hopes um, Yeah, and why these conversations are so exciting to us. Well, look, absolutely. I mean, the wisdom we learned from that era huh, is, or one of the wisdoms, is that the development sector is a bridge, an interface between the mainstream and the margin. Yeah, and, and here your, your social performance practitioners, your community development practitioners occupy that interface space. You know, they're, they're, we're already privileged. We have a job. You know, we're, we're part of, almost part of the mainstream by becoming a practitioner. But we have this beautiful job where we're resourced to sit with the margins. And, and our, the question is then, what's the interface? What, what's, what are we, how are we bridging between the two in a way that brings structural change in, in terms of, you know, racism, class, etc so i you know it's it's the most complex space anyone can be in and you know it's it's we what what i love about what you're doing is you're trying to resource people in this most complex space um and yeah people need to see this is where i am i'm in this in-between space 
I'm a bridging space, a broker. I can lever resources from the center, the mainstream, to the margins. Um, not just through transfer, you know, like money or skills or capacity. It's not just transferring. It's changing the relationship between the two, you know, um, which is very complex work. So, you know, I, I know you will be, I know you're in that space. And yeah, I, I'm very excited that, that you've built a network. And uh, I just would e expect everyone to get involved in Amazing. that network. Thank okay? you. Yeah, thank you for that shout out. And um, maybe just to reciprocate um, your latest book is is available right i'm not quite sure if in south africa yet but it looks like it could be an ideal introduction for anyone wanting to look into um the writing and thinking and philosophy of um 40 right critical thinkers of community development yeah yeah so i'm really you know i've i've written a few books some you're not that i'm not that happy with this book i'm really happy with um, it's called 40 Critical Thinkers in Community Development. It's got a beautiful introduction, which I think your emerging practitioners would enjoy. How do we build um, a practice over time? Um, recognizing most of us build practice on the job. We don't start with, you know, all the know-how. We learn on the job and then we reflect and we offer 40 small readings, one and a half thousand words of these 40 authors. And each one has a gem of a wisdom like that you can really meditate on or sit with other practitioners and refuse to reflect. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's a good little book um, and it's certainly accessible. And actually, in one month, there's another book coming out with the same publisher focused on community development in South Africa. So, um, yeah, we're very excited. Um, so, <laughs> plenty of resources, Thank people. Thank you so much, Peter. Yeah. Pleasure. It's lovely to listen to you and talk to See you more. both. Yeah. Yeah, this... There's so much opportunity, I think, to resource these practitioners and this whole community of practice and start different kinds of conversations. And hopefully this podcast can be one of those. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Um, this is the first year since 1994 that I am not visiting your country because of the pandemic. And it is my sole home my second home, and I'm deeply sad that I cannot come in 2020. So um, hopefully 2021, I can see some of you. Okay. Peter's words at the end, when he says, the development sector is a bridge between the mainstream and the margins. That's so good, so helpful, to my mind at least. Peter said that you can't just give people a simple tool. Being a practitioner means to stay engaged with your practice, study, reflect and rethink constantly. That all needs to be done in community with peers and others. He writes a lot and also about his sole home, as he mentioned, South Africa. His latest book has since come out and it is lying on my desk right now. We have a link to his work in the show notes, but you can also find his books easily by Googling his name. 
I like to leave us with his question when he says, we are resourced to sit with the margin. The question is, what is the interface? How do we bridge between the two in a way that brings structural change in terms of racism, class, etc., he says. How do we?